Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. Starry sky and see your hand in time and mind to lead me through the night. This is the final message. We talked about, first of all, the rejection nightmare. And then we talked about the uncertainty nightmare and then the suffering nightmare. If you want details about those and what they mean, you can find the audio online, which is better than nothing, but it's not as good as being here. And today we're going to talk about, thank you, Brother Tom, you're the man. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the humiliation nightmare. Perhaps you, uh, maybe you caught this little news tidbit this week. Country singer Gretchen Wilson was evicted from her hotel room at 3 a.m. this week. According to the singer's tweet in her defense, she says, I was a guest in La Cruces, New Mexico yesterday, had a blast with the people there. However, you should all band together and put a hotel, and I'm even not going to repeat the name because of what she wants. You should put that hotel out of business. She says, I had to wait two hours for breakfast. Then they sent the police to kick me out in the middle of the night for no reason. I complied, got home early. Now, a hotel employee who had to call 911 had a different story. Isn't that surprising? Hotel employee said, we went up there multiple times over the last half hour, and I went up there, and she said she was a celebrity, but I forgot her name, Gretchen something. She participated in the country music festival, and her words were, I paid for the room, I could care less what people think, and we had her escorted off the property. The employee added that the singer was being super loud and that her level of talking was like our yelling. Sounds like a power struggle. A person used to being accommodated was not being accommodated in a hotel, and a front desk night person you know what, we've got other guests who have also paid money and we're going to protect them and they issued their power and authority. There was a power struggle going on because of position or strength, power, the ability to force someone or coerce someone to do what you want them to do even if they don't want to do it. Power. Tastes of power, they come early in life. Parents, perhaps you remember the time, or maybe you remember as a child, when a a mom or a dad is going to step away from the home for a little bit, and the children are older, and and so mom or dad chooses one of the children and says, I'm going to be gone, just I'm running down to get the mail, or I'm going to the neighbors, and uh, while I'm gone, you're in charge. Now, what that parent means is you're responsible. What that child hears is, I've got power. Those are different understandings. It starts early in our life. Competition gives us another early understanding of power. Whether you're playing board games or it's grades you get in the classroom or it's athletic contests, one person or one team wins because of their superior skill or might. In many cases, our view of and pursuit of power is formed in those early years of our lives. As we deal with competition, inevitably, we have to deal with and manage loss. What are we going to do with loss? Power is that ability to 
force someone, coerce them to do what you want, even if they would rather not. As someone explained it this way, we all know what power looks like, don't we? The world is filled with power. Do it or I'll fire you. Do it or we'll bomb you. Do it or I'll beat you up. Do it or I'll ground you for two weeks. Do it or else. Folks with power have an else that follows after their design. Perhaps you can think about this. Have you ever been in a meeting they called together at work or even a ministry meeting? They called a meeting and so there's five people or 15 people or 50 people together. There's a meeting and you've got to solve a problem or perhaps you have to plan for a certain business function. And as you're sitting in that meeting, conversation goes on and it seems like it's going nowhere. There's no agenda. Where are we going? Where did we start? Or nobody's following the agenda. Where is this going to end? And by the end of the meeting, the gavel is slammed, the people are dismissed, the doors are shut, notebooks are closed, and there was no specific task given. There was no assignments who would do those and what they're doing or when it needs to be accomplished. And so you leave that meeting frustrated. Anybody ever had that experience? I didn't mean to take your mood down a notch today. That happens because there's a lack of power. No one is stepping into power. No one is is taking the role of conducting what should be happening. In fact, power is good. Power is helpful. Power is needed. In fact, power is God-directed. In Genesis chapter 1, we find power referred to man by God. It says in verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Subdue and have dominion, govern and reign over. We see that God's intention and his order for power is right there in creation. God said they should subdue the earth, dominion over it, so that that those things evidently needed to be subdued. Things would run wild without the right amount of authority and power. The earth needed humanity's molding. And the earth was humanity's at their disposal to fulfill God's direction to be fruitful and multiply. So God established the earth, its resources for his calling to humanity. And in this regard, power is good. Power is God-ordained. That's in chapter 1. In chapter 2, the first two humans make a mess out of things. They have a bad interaction with Satan. They make some poor choices and sin and rebellion and disobedience enter into the world. And then in chapter 4, we read this. After humanity was fooled by Satan, in chapter 4 and verse 3, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Cain thought it was a competition. 
though it wasn't a competition. But Cain thought it was, and Cain thought he lost the competition. And so he was dejected. He was humiliated. I brought something to the Lord, just like he brought something to the Lord. Mine's not approved. Why is he better than me? And so power was reduced in his life, and he felt humiliated, and the Bible says dejected. In verse 6, the Lord talks to Cain. Why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? God saw it in him. He said in verse 7, you will be accepted if you do what's right. But if you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. So the Lord says, look, this is a problem. It's not a competition, Cain. That's not what's going on here. The Lord said to Cain, I've got the same expectations for you and your brother Abel. Abel met my expectations. You can do it too, Cain. The competition, Cain, is between right and wrong, and you need to be a master over sin. It's not against your brother. You need to be a master over sin. Verse number 8, we see that Cain didn't listen to the Lord. Now, you know what? I mean, there are times you and I, we read the Bible and we think, well, that's not for me. We read the Bible and think, well, I'll work on that after I get some other things squared away. Can you imagine having a conversation with the audible voice of God? Yeah, that's nice input, but I'll be doing something else. That's what Cain did. It shows to me the ability of the human will to override God if we desire. It says in verse number 8, one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Here's the thing. Instead of dominating sin, Cain chose to dominate other people. And so the Lord said, you need to have power and dominion to subdue the fields and the animals in order to be fruitful and multiply. That was God's plan. But when sin entered into the world, all of a sudden man starts dominating man in an ineffective and in fact wrong way. He took his life. So power climbed high on Cain's ladder and humiliation became his nightmare. As a young man, Joseph Stalin entered into a seminary. He was going to study to be a Russian Orthodox priest. But while he's in school, he became enamored of some revolutionary ideas, and he was constantly punished because he was reading forbidden books. He was literally expelled from the seminary in 1899, and at that point, he left to follow the ideals of Marx and Lenin. Rising to supreme power, Stalin led Russia through its bloodiest years of terror. The dictator murdered thousands of his countrymen, those who opposed him, those he suspected would oppose him, and even those who helped him to power. He did it all to secure the place of communism and more so guarantee his own absolute authority. After Stalin's death, his daughter said this, on his deathbed, Stalin Stalin rose up with his last breath and shook his fist at God. As Sir John Dahlberg Acton remarked, power tends to corrupt, 
Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Cain, since he first overvalued power, humans have this tendency to let power climb uninhibited in our lives. We get a little taste of power and we seem to want to keep adding power into our lives. That overlove of power can show itself when we are poor listeners. When I'm not interested in what others have to say, particularly in understanding them, but rather I want to win in words. When I have an overvalue of power, then conversation becomes a test and a debate. It's not about understanding, it's about winning when it's about power. You know you see a lot of that in politics. It's not about understanding, it's about winning. When we love power, we press our perspective regardless of underpower. We have an overlove of power. We'll chase dominance. It's winning at all costs. To use some sports vernacular, we're just concerned about how we're going to win. It doesn't matter, excuse me, winning, not how we win. And so the rules aren't as important. Principles and values certainly aren't important. Those take a backseat because we need to dominate. If we're not going to dominate, we're going to be angry, we're going to be disgraced, and we feel like failures. As mentioned earlier, that temptation comes in those games. We don't want to win just some games. Isn't it amazing? A losing team gets a new coach. And the pressure is on not just to win more games next season. It's next season we're going to win the conference. We're going to win the division. Then we're going to win the conference. And a year after that, we're going to be world champions. How about you just win a few more games? Because there's something about that power. Y'all with me? Something about getting farther along. Something about winning that. Those things, if you value power, it climbs too high. Then our nightmare is humiliation. We're going to go great lengths to prevent that humiliation. St. Augustine said, Sin comes when we take a perfectly natural desire, longing, or ambition, and we try desperately to fulfill it without God. Not only is it sin... It's a distortion of the image of the Creator in us. God put in us, subdue and have dominion in order to be fruitful and multiply in this earth. But when we allow that to go too high, good things become primary things and above God, and that's a problem. In Acts chapter 8, if you consider Simon, Peter and John went into Samaria in verse 14 of chapter 8. They got there, they prayed they would receive the Holy Spirit, these new believers. And the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet on any of them, but they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they didn't receive the Holy Spirit when they believed, nor did they receive it when they were baptized. It was something else to happen. So they prayed they would receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, Peter and John laid their hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostle laid hands on the people. Understand, when they received the Holy Spirit, it wasn't just a warm feeling. It wasn't just, okay, I get a little smile on my face. There was something demonstrative that caught Simon's attention. In fact, Simon was a magician or a sorcerer in his day. He was able to have power and authority and to trick people and to get their attention. Receiving the Holy Spirit was something so influential that Simon the sorcerer couldn't compete with it. And so Simon says, how do I buy this power in verse 18? 
He offered them money to buy this power. That was his go-to. That's his customary operation. Everything can be bought, but it wasn't the right operation. And he said, let me have this power too. In verse 19, he said, so that I lay my hands on people, they'll receive the Holy Spirit. For Simon, the value of the power was out of order. I want to lay my hands on people so they receive the Spirit, not so they enjoy the Spirit and the power of the Spirit and the benefit of the Spirit. But I want people to see me and what I got going on. I want them to recognize what I'm able to do and how God works through me. And that didn't go over good at all. Because Peter replied in verse 20, May your money be destroyed with you of thinking God's power can be bought. You have no part in this. Your heart is not right with God. So power meant more to Simon than the source of the power. Peter told him in 22 and 23, You need to repent of your wickedness. You need to pray the Lord forgives you. And I can see right now you're full of bitter jealousy and held captive by sin. Bitter jealousy. Simon's the guy who's got all the entertainment dollars in the area. He's putting on the greatest magic show that Samaria has ever seen. And when the power of God starts changing people's lives, Simon wasn't interested in changed lives. He was bothered because he was losing business. Ticket sales to his magic show were going down. And so his desire was not for the right things of God, but he was becoming humiliated as someone else. God himself was putting on a better show than what his magic show had to offer. To his credit, after Peter chewed him out, Simon accepted that diagnosis and in verse 24 said, Pray to the Lord for me, Simon, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. He didn't want to pray himself, but he did ask for prayer. Instead of Simon, we should look to John the Baptist, a man who experienced God-designed power, but he did not allow that power to climb above his head. In John 3, 23, at this time, John the Baptist was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. John has a moving ministry going on. People are coming. They have seen his television program. They are coming out in droves being ready to be baptized by the guy who dresses in camel skin and he eats wild locusts and honey. This guy is the thing. They're coming out of the city to visit him, and they're being baptized. They keep coming to be baptized. And so verse 25, check this out. A debate broke out between John's disciples and some other Jew about ceremonial cleansing. And so in verse 26, John's disciples came to John and said, Rabbi, The man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people, and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. Same scenario as Simon the sorcerer, except this time it's John the Baptist. John had it going on. Everyone's coming to him to baptism. Now John's followers come to Jesus or come to John and say, Hey, that guy you call the Messiah, they're detouring over there now. He's selling all the baptism tickets. It's all happening over at his ministry. What should we do about this, John? And John replied in verse 27, in this potential humiliation moment, what do you do, John? He said, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. 
First thing John did was confess the truth he really lived by. Any success, any power that I enjoy is only because God has allowed it. Verse 28, he said, let me remind you, I told you this, I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. He remembered his place and his purpose. He said, it's the bridegroom who marries the bride and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. He knew his place in the kingdom of God. He wouldn't try to jump out of that place. Therefore, he said at the end of verse 29, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. John's not going to suffer from the humiliation nightmare because he kept his power in the right place. He, he kept his understanding in the right place. He didn't let that power climb up the ladder. When people kept coming for baptism, he kept that suppressed by saying, it's not about me. It's about the one I serve. And there's a Messiah coming after me and I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. So we might ask in conclusion, what should we do? How can I live like John? How can I prevent any humiliation nightmare in my life? How can I keep power from rising too far up my life's ladder? What do I need to do? 1 Peter 5, 6 leads us to a spiritual surrender. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. King David in 1 Chronicles 29 said, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. If I want to keep power in its place, there's got to be a standing invitation and expression to God. This is not my power, it's your power. As John said, I'm just the one paving the way. He is the one with power. When Jesus himself taught about prayer, he said, you know how you ought to pray? Start out like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. If I want to keep power low, I start praying like that. And Jesus said, when you're done praying, close it up like this. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We keep power in its rightful place by daily humbling ourselves under the mighty power of God. So I ask you, in what practical ways, in what practical ways are you surrendered to the Lord's power above your own? How does that happen? How are you practically pursuing that? There's something you're doing on a daily basis that's surrendering your power to his power. A few suggestions. You might want to write these down. Daily, reflect on the wonder of the cross. You want to keep power down the ladder? Daily, 
Remember the cross. Christ died for me. The sinless, perfect, holy, pure one gave his life so that I can be delivered and free and cleansed. Daily think about the cross. Here's a second thing we can do. Begin each day acknowledging our need for God. Start the day. I need God. More than anything, I need God. Not getting up in the morning. Here's my tough one. I need coffee. No. I need God. Getting up in the morning, I need to break that fast of sleeping all night. No, I need God. First and primarily, I need God each and every day. That's the second thing. Third thing, while I'm saying I need God, I need to say this. Lord, I am thankful for everything you have done, everything you are, everything you mean, everything you've become to me. Expressions of gratitude keep power down the ladder. And then Jesus offered this response to power. I find it interesting in Luke 22, verse 24. His disciples began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. You know, if you and I are sitting here today thinking, I I don't have a problem with power and I never will. I, I would say we might be deceived if we think that way. Because the disciples hanging out with Jesus full time, three years, got power problems. They begin to argue among themselves, I'm more important than you. I got more, I got more power than you. I, I'm in better with the boss than you are. I, I got more insight. He listens to me more than you. I have more influence than you do. They're arguing among themselves, and Jesus told them, In this world, the kings and great men lord it over the people, yet they are called friends of the people. One translation says, or rather in Mark, in the same story, it says, they flaunt their authority. But look at verse 26. But among you it will be different. Jesus is straightening them out. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. The leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. In Mark, it's recorded that Jesus said, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give His life a ransom for many. In the kingdom of Jesus Christ, power doesn't serve the person in position. It serves other people. When when God issues power into lives, it's to be passed out to the blessing of others, not to be profited for the person themselves. Here's the kingdom relationship between power and service. When power is high, self-service is high, and other service is low. When power is low in our lives, self-service is low, and other service is high. In conclusion, I, I just want to brag on a few folks. Ben Yakel's not here today. He actually is on vacation, but he actually is scheduled to work most Saturdays, and he's one of those guys we're praying that gets a new job. In fact, I asked Ben, I said, Ben, if we go to Saturday, what are you going to do? He said, Pastor, I'm going to go to my boss and say, I need to be off Saturday. Let's work around this and change my schedule. You normally see Ben playing a keyboard. Great kid, nice young man. 
couple of years ago, in fact, it started three years ago, I think, Ben noticed there was rain pouring out of the gutters up over onto the stairs where you and I come into the church building. And Ben said to me, hey, I see that's going on. And he didn't say, would you fix that, Pastor? He said, when can I get out here and what can I do in order to clean out those gutters so that doesn't happen over there? And so for the last three years, in fact, he came to me already this year, said, I see it happen over the stairs, and he grabbed somebody else, I think Nick Jacobson, and they came over and cleared it out. You don't see that happening, but he's serving. You see Mike Bennett oftentimes at the door, smiling and helping people. You see him up front receiving tithe and offering. What you don't see is him at this building on a regular basis. You know why there aren't any lights out here and hardly ever are? Because Mike pays attention. Mike looks around. You know why there's nice mulch all around the front? Because this week Mike said, you know what, that needs to be taken care of. And he went and took care of it. Lights out over the walkway, not anymore. Mike found them out. He just takes care of it. Spirit of service, that's a huge blessing and is a kingdom principle. It's a kingdom principle. You see Noah and Jackie today leading the children up front. They were in front of people. Jackie sings. Noah does things in the service. But what you didn't see them is here late Wednesday night, decorating downstairs, which looks amazing. Kathy McGarity was with them. They're hanging stuff all over. They're decorating for the children's ministry service next week, investing so that our children can be ministered to in a very elaborate and special way. Here they are down there working service. You know what service does? It keeps power in check. Service puts power on those lower rungs where it should be. You know, I'll just leave you with some thinking. When's the last time you surrendered some of your own power to serve someone else? I wonder, when do you serve others on a consistent and intentional and practical way? When does that happen? How often does that happen? Why do I need to do that? Because power tends to climb up the ladder. I need to push that back down. If you're looking for a few ideas, surprisingly, I have some. You know, in faith groups, you could coordinate weekly snacks. You're serving. That's not a huge deal. That's an easy deal. Why would you do that? I'm not all that hungry. No, you're serving somebody else. You could coordinate the fun event. You could participate in the service project. You could coordinate that service project. And you know what's awesome about service projects is because they extend beyond this local congregation and into the community where we are serving people that we may not even know or have a relationship with. But when I serve, it, it brings power down the ladder. You could talk to Brad or Chelsea about being involved in guest services. You could talk to Noah and Jackie about helping in children's ministry. You could visit with Mike Bennett and say, what needs fixed that you could use a hand with, and when can I help you with that? There are more opportunities and more needs, not just in this congregation, but it's an awesome place to start, and it needs to happen. But beyond this congregation, where we can serve, why is that? I'm going to take power down. Because I don't want to suffer from the nightmare of humiliation. Would you pray with me?
Lord, there are parts of our society and parts of the world we live in that are constantly competing. There are constant battles. In fact, your word says that closer and closer to your return, there will be wars and rumors of wars. Apparently, power will run rampant and continue to wreak its havoc. And in that dynamic, in this society, in this world that we live in, as we desire to serve you, to follow you, to pursue you to our heavenly home, God, I pray that you would minister and speak into us, particularly and individually today. Challenge us even tomorrow morning, Lord. Remind us of the opportunity to remember your cross, to surrender to your power, and to be grateful for all that you have done. And Lord, even as we go through the day this week, each and every day, Lord, point out to us opportunities. Quicken our spirits, Lord. Speak into our minds, Lord. Impact us in ways that we can serve and show kindness, that we could minister, Lord, that we can give, Lord, of our own effort, our own energy, our own intelligence, our own social giftings, and be a blessing as we serve someone else. Lord, we do this not for our own glory and our own power, but to follow your example, your prayers, and your teaching to your disciples. Because from the bottom of our hearts, we want to become all that you desire of us to become. We want to bring you pleasure. I want my life to make you smile. Desire to do that, Lord, in everything we do. And somebody say, in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Living Faith Everett podcast series. Tune in next week for the next part of this series, or join us online at livingfaithministries.church.